0: If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 1 or Luke 1, either one you like, or turn to both of them if you've got the dexterity to do that. In the history of the church, there's always been two distinctly different uh, groups. There is what we would call Christendom. That is, everyone that calls themselves Christians, whether they are or not, this may be a a a large group of people who just kind of feel comfortable under the umbrella. And then there is the true true church, those who truly are uh, born again, those who truly are redeemed, who belong to God. The same was true in Israel. Paul says, you remember, that not all Israel is Israel. In other words, there were ethnic Jews who didn't truly believe the message of Moses and the prophets. And so we have that in the church today. In America, we have uh, labeled that cultural Christianity, that broad body of believers. And throughout much of the the history of our country, that's been a very large group. Now, it is rapidly shrinking. It is because the culture is no longer uh, friendly toward Christianity. And so the latest surveys that are done tell you that the number of people who identify as Christian in America is declining very sharply. Now what you have in that group of casual Christianity are people who claim to be Christians but they don't believe a lot of the nonsense in Christianity. In other words, they don't believe that creation stuff, you know. I mean, because everybody knows that evolution is a scientific fact, unassailable, absolutely uh, provable, which of course it is not, but uh, there is microevolution, there is changes and adaptations within a species, but there is no record anywhere in the history of man of macroevolution, of one species that has evolved into another. But people who are in that Big, large group that we'll call Christendom or casual Christianity, uh, they just say, well, we're not, we're, we're Christians, but now we're not going to buy that creation stuff. And, and they'll, they'll uh, another, uh, uh, they don't like the miracles, maybe. They'll, they say, well, now we're Christians, but we're not going to believe that walking on water business, you know, we're not buying into that. You know, we're not we're not buying this feeding five thousand men besides women and children with five loaves and two fish. No, that can't be true. We're we're not we're not getting into that. You know, uh, and one of the miracles of the Bible that they particularly find offensive is the virgin birth. Why? You mean a virgin gave birth? That cannot happen. That is impossible. That's a lie. She just got pregnant out of wedlock and like a lot of people trying to cover up her guilt and shame. She invented this story. Well, that certainly could not happen. We know it's impossible. Let me tell you something. You cannot be a Christian without believing a miracle. You must believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead or you cannot be a Christian. So if you're going to believe, if you're going to tell me that you're a Christian, then you have to have believed that Jesus rose from the dead. If you tell me, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in the resurrection, no, you're not a Christian. You're calling yourself a Christian, but you're not a Christian. You know, I could call myself a wheelbarrow. That doesn't make me a wheelbarrow. Contrary to what our culture says today, reality is real, not your perception of it. See, so you have to start out with a miracle to be a Christian. If I believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I have no problem in believing that God is the creator. If I believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, I have no problem with miracles. I said last week, if you have a problem with miracles, you have a problem with God. And if I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, I certainly can believe that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin. Now all professing Christians enjoy the story of the birth of Jesus, the familiar narrative of Joseph and Mary, their trek to Bethlehem, no room at the inn, the humble birth of Jesus in a horse trough, in a stable, the Adoration of the Shepherds and the Magi, it makes for a, uh, a story that we never grow tired of repeating. But the one part of the story that people have real problems with is the beginning. What we read this morning in our text in Matthew 1 and Luke 1, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Fifty years ago, Christianity Today did a survey of Protestant pastors In the United States, it revealed that 60% of Methodists, 49% of Presbyterians, 44% of Episcopalians, and 34% of Baptists did not believe the virgin birth. Now that number has remained, it it increased for a few years. Now it's gone about back to those numbers in the most recent survey that was done uh, about 20 years ago. But the reason for that is, again, because that, that casual Christianity number is shrinking. You've got fewer and fewer people who even name themselves as Christians. And so what is happening is as that uh, uh, Christendom number shrinks, then the true church becomes more prominent, and they tend to believe the casual Christians have a tendency to say that that doctrine divides us and we don't want to be dogmatic on anything, you know, because that just turns people off. I mean, if you start getting dogmatic about this miraculous stuff, people will leave. They'll go somewhere else. And besides, they say, what difference does it make? What's the difference whether or not Jesus was conceived in the womb of a virgin? Doesn't matter. You know, you can still believe that God was present among men. Why would it be necessary to believe in the virgin birth? I tell you that that the virgin birth is absolutely essential to Christianity. Now listen carefully what I'm going to say right here. Don't go away and say I said something different. You don't have to even know that Jesus was born of a virgin to be a Christian. You you might become a Christian never having heard the story. You just heard the story that God became man and, and went to a cross and died for your sins and you repent and believe on them. But listen carefully. In order for you to have salvation, Jesus had to be born of a virgin. You could not have salvation unless Jesus was born of a virgin. There are a few fundamentals of the Christian faith. I mean, we may... We may differ on our understanding of non-essentials. We may differ on eschatology. That is the doctrine of last things. What's going to happen before the end of time and of the world? We may differ about spiritual gifts. We may have a different view of baptism. But to deny the fundamentals of the faith is to depart from what it means to be a Christian in the most basic sense of the word. And the virgin birth is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. To deny the virgin birth means that we must deny the authority and the truth of the Bible, the deity and the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ, and that he is the Savior, as taught in the Scriptures. Or to state that positively, to affirm those essential doctrines, we must affirm the virgin birth. So the virgin birth is essential to affirm the truthfulness of the Bible. The passages that we have read this morning in our responsive reading teach unequivocally that Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, And to claim anything else is to deny the truthfulness of the Bible. I mean, to be honest, you'd have to say, well, I know the Bible teaches the virgin birth, I just don't believe it you cannot affirm the truthfulness of Holy Scripture and deny the virgin conception of Jesus Christ. Most people reject the virgin birth because they reject miracles. They embrace naturalism. They say, well, you know, miracles just don't occur. And, you know, people back then, they weren't as scientifically knowledgeable I've heard that several times, and I thought, let me see now. Let me get this straight. You're saying that a young woman in the first century didn't know whether she'd had sex or not. How is that possible? I mean, how much scientific knowledge do you have to have to know that? You know what I'm saying? But people say, well, you know, people in the first century weren't as sophisticated. They didn't understand. Really? Listen, the Bible begins by assuming the fact of God. Doesn't argue for his existence. The Bible starts out, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, if you believe that verse, you can believe the whole Bible. If you believe Genesis 1-1, the rest of the Bible is not a problem. Not at all. The Bible teaches that men reject God, not because it is intellectually untenable, but because for moral reasons, they don't want to believe in God. They want to live as they want to live, thank you very much. And they don't want God in the way telling them that their life is filled with sin. They want to do it their way. They want to do what they want to do. And so they come up with these nonsensical ideas about how the world came to be. None of them can explain the beginning, by the way. You, you go back so far, you keep going back, well, this evolved from this and this evolved from this and this evolved, you know, and you're going back. Finally, you have what Dr. Carl Sagan called that point of singularity. There was a point of singularity in the beginning. Where did it come from? Where did that point of singularity come from? You've you, you got to go back to nothing and nothing comes from nothing, no. God created from nothing, ex nihilo. But from nothing, nothing comes. And to think that as complex as life is on earth and in this universe, and that it all just happened by chance, and all of the parts that were dependent upon another waited around for billions of years while the rest of the parts got there and evolved it, really? Really? I've given you this illustration a number of times before. This is an iPhone. It's an iPhone 8. You know, you can can get the interwebs on it, you know, and everything on the interwebs is true, so you can get anything that's true. You know, you don't want to say it. But this iPhone is a very complex uh, piece of machinery, and uh, I took it to Fiji last year and just turned it on when I got there, and I'd arranged with my... Sell company, and I had a phone when I got halfway around the world. Made phone calls on it, people called me, no problem. Email, get email, access the internet, all of that. And do you know, you know how this phone came about? Well, in a warehouse in Cupertino, California, there were parts laying around for billions and billions and billions and billions and billions, and billions of years. And one day, there was this tremendous explosion, obliterated the sky. And when the dust settled, there was an iPhone. Just picked it up and said, hey, what's going on? Well, preacher, don't be stupid. Nobody would believe that. Really? No, they wouldn't. But yet they look around at the complexity of our universe and they say, just happened, just evolved, just came about by chance. You know what? I'm not buying that. I think it takes a whole lot less faith for me to believe that a sovereign God created it and set it in motion than it does to believe what science believes today. If a supernatural God is the source of creation, miracles are not a problem. He can interrupt the normal laws of his creation and do supernatural deeds. He can put a seed in into the womb of a virgin that will result in the birth of God on earth as a man. That's what he said to Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. That is the key to the whole thing. Matthew was one of the 12. We know that his source was either Jesus or Mary. Uh, Luke states that he made a careful investigation of the facts. Luke was a physician. It's probable that he talked directly to Mary as well. The accounts are independent of each other, and yet they are remarkably the same. To reject the virgin birth, a person must reject the record of two independent Honest, factual historians who lived at the time and whose writings have been accepted as factual by thousands of historians throughout the last 2,000 years. In addition to the historical factor, Matthew says it was the fulfillment of prophecy. Quoting Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The ultimate fulfillment means that a woman who had not had a sexual relationship with a man would bear a son and that that son would be none other than God himself in human flesh. Mary was that woman. Jesus was that child. And he is the promised Messiah of Israel. The virgin birth of Jesus is one of several hundred prophecies that were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so together with the historical accuracy of Matthew and Luke, these prophecies affirm the truthfulness of the Bible. Deny the virgin birth, you must deny the truthfulness of the Bible. The virgin birth is essential to affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is the son of a human father and a human mother through a natural biological process then he is not God in human flesh. It's that simple. If he is the son of a human father and a human mother through a natural biological process, then he is born of Adam. And he is born with a sin nature. And he cannot be God in human flesh. His existence would have began at his conception He could not and would not be eternal God in human flesh. And yet the scriptures repeatedly affirm the full deity of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. But of the Son, He says, your throne, O God is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Jesus said to the Jews, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham came into being, I am. That phrase we talked about last week or week before, ego ami, I am. God. When Thomas saw the risen Lord, he cried out to him, my Lord and my God, and fell to his knees. Jesus did not correct him for blasphemy, which he would have done had he been a mere man. But rather he accepted and commended the worship of Thomas. No natural union of a human husband and wife could ever bring God into the world. That is the core of the Christmas story, that the babe at Bethlehem is Emmanuel. God with us, a unique being, both God and man. That means that God, the means that God used to take on human flesh was the miraculous conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And to affirm the full deity of Jesus Christ, you must affirm the supernatural virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Belief in the virgin birth is essential to affirm the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was born of natural parents, then he was born a sinner. As I said, like all other human beings. And he would have needed a savior himself. If he had sin of his own, he could not die as a substitute for others. The scriptures clearly teach The whole human race, from Adam on, is under the curse of sin. You are either in Adam or in Christ. All human beings are born in Adam, except Jesus. He was born as a sinless human being. And just as the scriptures teach the full deity of Jesus Christ, they also teach the full humanity of Jesus Christ. He was not a hybrid. He was not half God, half man. He was fully God and fully man. As much God as if he were not man at all. As much man as if he were not God at all. Now Jesus had to have at least one human parent in order to share our humanity. But through the superintendence of the Holy Spirit in the virgin birth, Jesus was able to be born fully God and fully human, yet sinless. He was as we are, yet without sin. The angel says, the Bible says the angel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon her, will overshadow her, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, we need to get some sometimes bad theology corrected, the, the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception does not refer to the birth of Jesus Christ. The Roman Catholic doctrine of Immaculate Conception says that Mary was also born without sin. That is not true. In Luke chapter one, verse 47, uh, Mary talks about God my Savior. You don't need a Savior unless you are a sinner, you see. Mary was in as much in need of a savior as all of the rest of the human race. But the angel asserts that Mary would conceive miraculously through the Holy Spirit, and that her offspring would be holy, the Son of God. The virgin birth is necessary to affirm the sinless humanity of Jesus Christ. So it's necessary, to affirm the truthfulness of the word of God, to affirm the deity of Christ, to affirm his sinless humanity. Finally, belief in the virgin birth is essential to affirm that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Christmas uh, isn't just a story to make us feel warm and fuzzy about family and friends and peace on earth. I told you, I confess to you one of my great sins a couple of years ago is I like Hallmark Christmas movies. That always surprises people. I don't know why, because I'm so warm and fuzzy myself. But anyway, uh, but th- that's all they are. They're just warm and fuzzy. That's why I like them. Sometimes I just like warm and fuzzy and a happy ending. You know, boy meets girl, girl gets, you know, they, boy gets girl, girl gets, boy. you know, it's all nice. But it's just warm and fuzzy and there's no, there's n- nothing to them. I mean, the movies are, are absent really a plot or much meaningful dialogue, so you can watch them just kind of in a vegetative state. Maybe that's why I like them. But Christmas is much, much more than that. At the heart of the Christmas story is, is the story that the human race is lost, alienated from God. And bound for an eternity in hell. The angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. Which means Yahweh saves. Jehovah saves. Why? Why would you call him Jesus? Why would you call him God saves? Because he will save his people from their sins. And today you are either in your sins alienated from God facing eternal wrath, or you are one that Christ has saved from their sins. And you are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are lost, your greatest need is for a Savior. And the virgin-born Jesus is the only Savior. To be our Savior, the Messiah had to be a man, because only a man could die for the sins of the human race. The wages of sin is death. And that penalty must be paid either by the sinner or by an acceptable substitute. And the substitute must be without sin. People say sometimes, you know, well, I, don't you believe there's other ways to God besides Jesus? Well, let me, let me see here. Is there anyone else that, that managed to get himself conceived by the Holy Spirit born in the womb of a virgin? lived a sinless life without any sin whatsoever, loving God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength every moment of his existence, went to a cross and died in the place of others and rose from the dead by the power of a sinless life three days later? Well, no. Then no, I don't believe there's any other way to God except through Jesus. There is no other one who can be the acceptable substitute. There is no other one that can die for the sins of the human race. The virgin birth is a picture, a type of the new birth that God wants to bestow on every sinner. The initiative and the power, you notice in the virgin birth, are totally from God. In salvation, the initiative and the power are totally from God. Here's how it works. God we provide the sinner God provides everything else and we are saved the answer the, the question is do you want to be saved? do you want to be saved? if you do rest assured God has made you want to come to him Jesus said, all that come to me he will that he would save all that come to him he will not cast out uh God has done it all. You cannot save yourself. You cannot get into heaven by your own efforts. All you can do is receive what God has done in Christ. James said, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He brought us forth by the word of truth. God became a man. The greatest miracle in the Bible, in my opinion, is that God became a man. That, that, that if you think about that for a moment, how how could God become man? That's, that's beggar's belief. If the Bible didn't say it, I wouldn't believe it. Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Without question, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the great mystery of godliness. That's what we celebrate at this time of year. We celebrate that God became man through the agency of a miraculous conception in the womb of a virgin. So that Jesus Christ could be fully man, fully God, without sin, who could die as a substitute for our sins. There's no one else who can do it. So, I urge you, flee to Christ. Believe upon the only one who can save. Trust him. Repent of sin. Put your faith, your trust in him. We're going to stand and have a word of prayer.